I'm actually really excited. This is the uh, first ever iPhone test. Oh, oh. Maiden Voyage. Maiden Voyage. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Uh, like old time sakes, PJ could not get his computer to work, which is <laughs> So we're back. It, we're officially back, boys. If we're you back. had somehow in, could have possibly sent me the correct link, then maybe we wouldn't have had that problem. So, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was a link issue. Uh, I, I had trouble getting on for almost a second, actually, before it was on. I clicked it, and it almost took a second for me to Connor get on. But all good. Connor, I think we're ready. Let's all right. go. Hey there, Squash fans, and thanks for coming back to another episode of The Breakdown with myself, Connor Malley, and my co-hosts, Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. And we are back. Our travels had us taken us in all sorts of directions but it was great to get another episode in the books. And with the action coming out of the CIB World Championships recently, we had to unpack what just happened. This event set a new prize money record for the tour with $1.1 million up for grabs on top of the title of being crowned world champion. In addition to the amazing battles happening on the court, there were sparks happening off court as well from tweets with El Hamami, an article written by Rob Owen that spurred Muhammad El Shabagi on, and the fans in the crowd. Take a listen. A quick thank you to our sponsor, Pro Sport LED, your trusted lighting source for racket sports facilities, like squash, tennis, pickleball, or padel, because of its advanced LED lighting technology. These lights are a perfect solution for anyone building a new facility, but they can easily be retrofitted into existing courts. If you're looking for lights or know anyone that is, please go ahead and connect us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed the show. What about this? This call is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown with my co-hosts, Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Guys, it has been a minute, hasn't it? A minute. A minute. <laughs> it's been an hour. It's been two hours. It's been, it, it yeah. honestly has been like months, right? We haven't done it. We, we did do one episode with Noran Gohar that um, because yes. of bad internet in Cairo didn't work, which was, it was, would have been our best episode. Oh my gosh. What a great episode. She's an amazing person. Yeah, no, yeah. No. she she's lost the British Open and the uh, um, and what did she lose? Yeah, she lost the British Open since we talked to her. She's and she the lost world. the British Open and the world since we talked to her. So we were kind of joking about the the. I think you even said that the breakdown effect that like break- now is all going to go downhill. Yeah, yeah. It's it's only she won the T. She won a watered down TOC though. So that's um, true. You know, that's true. The, yeah. A watered down TOC. I think she beat like um like not a boss and like yeah. to get to the final. One of those people. Yeah. So. Not not a story. She won that, the but... Egyptian national championships, which is pretty much a world open. Yeah, it's pretty sure. <laughs> it, it, it actually a stronger yeah. field than the TOC in the end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how are you guys doing? I'm very well, Bill. Thank you very much. Good to see you, boys. I can't remember. Uh, Bill, I saw you briefly at the tournament of champions. Uh, yes, Connor also, yeah. but uh, yeah. this is the first time we've we've been back on air again. So, long overdue. Good to be back. Are you keeping up your fitness regimen, PJ? You you refused to go out to dinner with Joey Lee and I uh, twice during the TOC uh, because you did not want to eat late at night because you were trying to keep your fitness. Uh, talk about that, That's PJ. Right. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, just a bit of a case of wanting to give my system a little bit of a rest. I had a busy period leading up to that with the tournament schedules, obviously being uh, in the commentary box from around noon till at 
certain, on certain days, 10, 11 o'clock at night, you're, you're eating and your sleeping habits go uh, a little bit awry, shall we say. And my system and my body just needed a little bit of a reset. So um, cut out the caffeine, the booze, and uh, tried to eat a bit more sensibly and a bit more routinely. And uh, the impact of that has been very successful. Thank you. Yeah. You you looked ridiculously fit. I have to say, I, I'm I am a I'm a devout heterosexual. Um, but <laughs> thank you. I, you you looked very attractive uh, at the TOC. Your stomach was thank so you. flat, very flat. Thank you. Washboard, Which is the most like, yeah the most attractive yeah. quality of a middle aged man like yourself is a flat stomach. By the way, well it it, it doesn't come easy, Bill. I know. Tell easy. me about it's it. A lot of hard work. Try to try to look. Tell like me about this. it. Yeah. Tell me about it. Disappointed that you were trying to lead me one night out to the diner across the street from Grand Central, which is like the biggest tourist trap in America. Thankfully, it was closed and uh, you bailed after that. But we did go out and have a nice uh, Peruvian dinner somewhere like 10 blocks away. That, uh, I, I have to say that jo Joey and uh, Lee Beachel did actually come back singing your praises. So not that your knowledge of food has ever been in question, but it was certainly put to the test in New York and you came through with flying colors. So. Yeah. Uh, any any recommendations from now on in will be will be taken very seriously. <laughs> Bill does shine in that area. Yeah, his recommendations are, are well, pretty. Well, on point. Maybe if the PSA will uh, see the light and and get rid of that M Michael Alpenop guy, I'll, I'll be able to help you guys out with more food, uh, maybe across the world. So this is that? it. It ticked both boxes for Joey, which was simply lots of it and cheap. So <laughs> and close uh, and yeah. and close and, and not and too nearby. and not too, yeah. and not too yeah. far away. Exactly the case. So summer's coming up, guys. We haven't been uh, we haven't been around. Uh, we haven't been talking in a while, but summer's right around the corner. You guys have uh, big plans uh, for the summer. So uh, what uh, what do you got on tap there, PJ? Well, I, I'm going to uh, jump in and go first because I I know PJ's is more exciting than mine. <laughs> so let me marginally um, marginally. Uh, I was actually reflecting on this bill. It's the one year anniversary of my appendix surgery. So oh really? That was Memorial Day weekend. It was right before. Yeah. So my outlook uh, right now is uh, I'm really excited to, you know, be healthy and, and able to work out and that kind of stuff. So unfortunately, some of my summer plans did fall through. I was trying to get down to the D.C. area and uh, that didn't work out. So I'm kind of reassessing where to be and what to do. But what I want to do is play golf and get back in the squash. So I don't know what's happening, but um, I'm trying to figure it out. You look like you gained all the weight back from the appendix. <laughs> What? And that's that's a good thing, right? I, I would love this to be anchored in and this just shows like the accuracy is, is way off is like I'm actually at the like lightest I've been in multiple years. So Really? Yeah. Oh interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, and well, good strongest. So <laughs> look forward to arm wrestling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I think you're just getting older and you need to get your eyesight checked. But don't tell me about it. I gotta need to get everything checked. My teeth are falling out, my hair is falling out. I can't I can't see. I can't get you're hitting on I, dudes like I, you know. I, I go I go to the bathroom like 19 <laughs> times a night yes everything that happens to someone my age is happening to me in triplicate so uh, definitely so uh PJ right. yourself PJ. uh well slightly well I wouldn't say more interesting but a, a little bit uh, busier uh, shall we say tonight 11 p.m local time I'm heading on a flight uh from JFK back to Heathrow uh, we'll be there until the 4th of June, where I'll be then heading down to Mauritius. There's uh, an event taking place down there, PSA event, where I'll be commentating. Looking forward to that one. Uh, Gregory Gordon, bowl accounts, has never been to the uh, Mauritius. No, I've been to La Réunion, which is where Thierry Linku was from. I went there back in late the late 90s, like 98, 99. It was beautiful. 
beautiful down there, just uh, in the Indian Ocean there, uh, about an 11 hour flight from the UK it was, and that was absolutely stunning. Uh, but never been to Mauritius. No, never been to Bermuda, the Bahamas, Barbados, or uh, or Mauritius. So, I, 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 lo- I looked at the photos for Mauritius for, for where the tournament's taking place. It looks unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, at, at this stage, all I was interested in was the fact that I got the call up to go down there. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll look into detail. Believe me, I fast. I tried my best. I sent them clips of me. I, I sent an email. I got sent all kinds of stuff, but uh, I did not make the cut. You did not get the rose. I did not get the rose. Exactly. I'm not sure he's got the call up for the MC for that one. Actually. I'm not sure. I know a lot of hands went up up when they, uh, they put the requests out. So according to them, they're keeping it in house for budget reasons. So, which is fine. So if, and if I see some guy, I don't know, or some woman, I don't know doing it, I will have no grudge against Mauritius tournaments going forward. If I see Michael Alpen up there, (laughs) I mean, you that's not, be gonna, not gonna, not gonna be good. Have not you ever met him? I never met him. How could I? I okay. know he's my he's my enemy. I don't want to meet him. He's probably the nicest guy in the world. I don't want to meet him and ruin. I, him. He I, is a I very nice say, guy. I hate to say it, but he is a lovely guy. A very Ugh, very yeah. nice guy. Why does, why does he get a job? Off the mic. Hey, Michael, get a job, would you please? He, he, he does. does. What does he, he? What does he do? He's an MC. Like, what else does he do? I mean, he also does a podcast. <laughs> More than once every six months. No, he he does other stuff. I, like what? I, I like what? I, I don't. Re- he, he's, I would, he used to be he used to be on a children's TV program back in the day. Um, I'm not quite sure what that was, but I know he's got his fingers in lots of different pies, and he's a very active, very active man outside the squash world. Um, well, but, Mike, uh, Michael, get a, get on yeah. LinkedIn, get a full time job that takes up all your time. That's all I, I'm I'm imploring you. I mean, one of the things I mean, he wins hearts and minds in the crowds. Like, sure, oh, yeah. yeah, he's brilliant. That's, he's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's very good. That's the other problem. He's really good at it. I mean, it would be one thing if I could say he sucks, but he doesn't. He's really good at it. So he, he did show a little more excitement in his voice this tournament, too. I noticed for the world, he kicked it up a little bit. Right. He, wasn't he also idiot. has a lot of different looks, you know? Oh, I know. I know. He's way better looking than me. His voice is better than mine. He's asked better questions. He does better intros. He literally does everything better than I do and looks way better than I do, but it doesn't mean I can't I, hate him. I don't know. You, you give the... the and next on court, Muhammad out. Like you do that pretty well. Yeah, you know? I know, but you know, anybody, a monkey could do that, Connor. You just did it for God's I sake. I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my audition. Uh, <laughs> so PJ, uh, so after Mauritius, you're going, uh, you're going to go back yeah, and hang, uh, hang, hang in England and use your country club pass and play golf all summer there. Pretty much, yeah. Twelve days in Mauritius. Um, sorry, eight days in Mauritius. Back to back to the UK, June twelfth. And as of now, uh, plans of just pretty much in the UK and, and the London area, uh, catching up with family. Big birthday for me this year in July. So, um, oh, how old? I'll be 50 in July. Really? Wow. That is the first time I've made that public, actually. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Big Interesting. Five I, big five, big five. You could, you, you could have said 40. You could have said 60. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known. Thanks. I don't know about the 60 line, but. Uh, no, no, I'm just be, you, you just a big, big celebration. Yeah, so I'll be uh, probably gearing up and getting ready for a few days of celebration there. That weekend of the 16th, 17th, 18th of July, I'll we'll be I'll be doing a few different things with separate friends and family and that kind of stuff. So looking forward to that. And then any big gifts or anything for fifty? You know, like buy yourself something. I'm not a massive birthday kind of 
person. Not to say I'm boring or, or whatever the case may be, but birthdays have never really been a big... Maybe because I spent most of them on the road from the age of 17, just travelling around. Mm. I spent a lot, a lot of actually birthdays sitting in hotel rooms or travelling. So not really had much opportunity to be home and make a big deal of it. So it's, it's been a bit of a weird one, really. So what do you do, not to get too personal, what do you do yeah. with your place in New York and with a car? Do you have a car? I assume you have a car in New York, like a car. Yeah. What, what do you do with that stuff when you're gone the whole summer? So the, like, the, you... the, the apartment, it would just be locked up and, and left here. And then mm-hmm. the car, I've got a buddy of mine, Adam Taleb, who's the head pro, uh, the owner of Westchester Squash. At the moment, we had a massive flood here back uh, the tail end of last year, completely flooded the car out. So that was a write-off and he'll just borrow it. Just keep it active and keep it on the road, yeah. So keep that moving, which is good. Is that your Porsche? It is, yeah. Yeah, he'll be looking after that for me, yeah. Oof, Although he gets a little bit embarrassed driving it around because he's not happy that some of his members see him driving around in a in a flash I'd be, car. I'd be willing around. to babysit either your Porsche or your New York apartment, uh, PJ. If, the if, keys if are yours, Bill. The keys free of charge. Free. Of, is it a sticker uh, or is it automatic? It's auto. It's oh, oh yeah. man, Bill, there's Dude, no. Yeah. Would you like to drive a car like that? Would I like to like drive around just to be seen in it? Of course. It's not a big deal. It's not a massive, you know. It's not. No, a big I just car to I, be seen in it. It's Bill, a Porsche. It's a Porsche. Bill though. generally doesn't like yeah. driving. Like period. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a big driver, but I would drive around in a Porsche, like around town here. Like go down. Like go downtown. Pick pick up a six pack of beer. Go to the grocery store in the Porsche. That'd be cool. All right. Yeah. I, I I never All would have right. pegged you to that. No, no, I would never buy one. Where, did you buy it, BJ? Did you buy the? I did new? buy it. I did buy it. Yeah, yeah, I did buy it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Any story behind that we need to know or no? No, nothing you need to know, Bill. Just a lot of hard work, a lot of hard okay. work, a lot of lessons, a lot of commentary gigs, and you know, a little treat, a little treat. Is this your first ever Porsche? It is. Yeah, yeah. It was one of my um, child childhood. Have you had any problems with it? I did have quite a few problems with it, but they uh, finally uh, finally been rectified. Yeah. After uh, about a year, B- Bill is because uh, you remember that he was a Jeremy Clarkson guy. Like we're, we're oh, just renaming this now. Like yeah, uh, yeah. Top, top Gear. They used to do the Top right, Gear. Yeah, right, right. Just you're not comfortable typically talking about your personal life, so I'm just trying to delve into that a little bit. For I'll tell listeners. you some stories about the car off there. How's that? I'll tell you a okay. few stories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Could you tell? Could you tell us who sold you the car? No. <laughs> are, are his initials LW? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so I know a lot about the car. I, I was told a story about it at the TOC, and I said at the yeah. next podcast I would ask you about it. So You're gonna give me a hard time about it, yeah? Right. I, I would. I not not really, yeah. not really. I'll no, st- no. I'll stop there. I I appreciate you answering we're, all the we're, questions. Let's just let's just say he's off the Christmas card list. We'll <laughs> That's, what, that. That's yeah. what I understand. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So. So uh, my my summer, uh, now that you asked, thank you for asking, Connor. Um, yeah, so my <laughs> summer will be, so I played golf last week, um, and unfortunately I'll miss you, PJ, not being able to play golf with you this summer, and we us taking our revenge on uh, Wick Clothier and his partner at the uh, at the Connecticut Golf Club. I played there last week, okay. shot 103, um, a well-deserved 103. That course is ridiculously penal and unforgiving, and I actually yep. didn't play as bad as my score indicated. I didn't even play as bad as I played when I played with you last, and I still shot higher. It was... Uh, Greens were running like at a 12. It was a nightmare. I did hit. So you remember the, I I know, I don't know how um, good your memory is of your golf games that you played. So do you remember when we played and we were still in the match and we were on the 17th hole and you hit your drive behind a tree and you hit a miraculous recovery shot and and we won that hole to get get within one down. So I was in the same spot off the tee. Oh, really? I, I was in the rough, had to go underneath one tree and over another tree. 
hit an a, a spectacular eight iron, one of the best shots of my life that landed in the rough before the green, hopped onto the green, ran uphill, slowed down right before the pin. I thought it was going to like almost drop in and then sped past the pin down the hill into the bunker behind the green. And I took a, and I took a seven. <laughs> but for a moment there, it was one of the best. Shots for a moment, it was absolutely there. It was almost greatness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Glorious. Glorious. But uh, yeah, yeah, so my golf games um, is what it is. And um, my boat is currently in the repair shop. So right now uh, my summer plans are all on hold. And uh, so just just waiting, as, as Connor knows, as a fellow boat owner, the boat nightmare is just one. Con- literally, that is one continuous nightmare. So, one continuous thing. Yeah. 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 So hopefully that'll be uh, all good. But one thing I do want to mention before we jumped into squash is I am. Um, I don't know if you guys have been streaming anything now that uh, now that the weather's getting nicer. Have you guys watched the offer? Mm-mm. Not I've neither one of you. Them. Highly recommend it. It is about what the is making What's making it? of is the Godfather. It, uh, it's Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Okay. Paramount Plus. Yeah, it's about the making of The Godfather. Very interesting, starring Miles Teller. So I wanted to throw that out there for the for the listeners because I I uh, had just finished Maisel, which so I had nothing to watch. And Stranger Things doesn't start till this week, so I've been substituting by uh, binging on um, on the offer as I ride my uh, my bike every morning. So there you go. Last night I literally just finished the last episode of uh, The Staircase. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Is that Netflix? It's Netflix. Yeah, based on a true story. Is that, that about guy, someone uh, someone guy, who throws his wife down a staircase? A, a successful writer who's um, accused and charged oh, with and the we've lost PJ. All right, oh. we're back. <laughs> this podcast is officially back. PJ is now. frozen. <laughs> oh, editing nightmare. I, I'm, I'm gonna, no. Oh, he's and now he's off. Don't don't stop recording though, Connor, because I'm gonna what we'll do when he's off is I'm gonna say the name of the person who sold him the Porsche who he no longer speaks. No, we're to. gonna cut all that. Okay, we'll cut all that. Okay, we're not gonna cut all that because we'll, the guy we'll, who the the guy who sold him the Porsche wanted me to mention it to him, so I won't say his name though. And he's back. He's back. Yeah, I all don't right. know what happened there. Yeah. So what's the stair? Is the staircase about? Is it a murder mystery? Yeah, it's a murder mystery. So basically, a, a, a there's a successful writer gets accused and charged with the murder of his wife. And he claims that she fell down the staircase. And it's more of like a courtroom. It's quite a weird, really, how it actually came about, because from the very first scene, when you hear his 911 call, there is then, within minutes, footage of the whole thing. So basically, he's he got a camera crew to come over from France to video the entire thing from start to finish. Video, video what is this is this real life yes real life or, yeah yeah so oh, is it a is it a docudrama or yeah, i mean it's is, like, is it it's like, like a docudrama it, yeah it's all inside the courtroom outside the courtroom private interviews um like a real kind of behind the scenes oh interesting in, no in i have what would account. you give it out of 10 yeah i'll probably give it about a, a seven or an eight it's just one of those oh, where wow. there's 13 there's 13 episodes and towards the end it, it could have been condensed slightly, but in every episode there are some really in, intriguing parts. So it's it's a so it's a good like, watch. Sounds like a TBD podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> could be a lot shorter, and there's one or two interesting parts. Exactly. <laughs> Bad vegan. Have you guys no. seen this? Oh, God. oh no, no, I've heard about that. Is that about the, the couple that go on a rampage? Um, well, the rest, restaurant vegan. owners. It's a restaurant owner. It basically turns into like uh, fraud and scam and all this stuff. But it definitely remind me like this could have been about a one one and a half hour long episode, and they just drag it out. Oh. And um, 
just goes on. Anyway, yeah. Kind of interesting, just not not five or six episodes interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so let's. So, yeah. so, so, so now we've note. talked about. So watch. So watch the offer then. The offer is interesting. It's Got it's it. it's. Uh, not, unfortunately, you can't. Well, now you could. If you start watching it now, you could catch up. But they only drop episodes once a week, which is the, the new trend, which I hate. So I don't know what happened to dropping the whole seasons. I don't know why people stopped that. Did you guys finish watching Ozark? Anybody? No, no not yet. Jesus, you guys are so. I've been saving boring. it. Saving for what? <laughs> a good time. I don't know. Oh my god. Wait, 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 wait. There's more? Hey, quick time out to hear a word from our sponsor. So how are your squash courts looking these days? Are the ball marks starting to add up? Do your courts need some attention and care? Well, in the U.S., there's a new solution coming your way. Pro Sport Court can be your one-stop shop for all your court care needs, from standard cleaning, painting, floor sanding, all the way up to lighting upgrades. Pro Sport Court can have your courts looking like new. Reach out to squashradio at gmail.com to learn more. Now back to our show. Okay, let's talk some squash, boys. <laughs> yeah, why don't you give us the rundown of what we're going to cover, Bill? So we're going to cover the Worlds. So the Worlds just happened. The World Championships just happened, and they ended this past weekend. Um, tough weekend to, to watch them, um, or two weeks two weekends ago. Uh, tough, tough to watch because the weather got finally got nice where I am, so it was tough to watch them. So I actually watched everything on tape. But a lot of intrigue came out of it. Um, PJ, obviously, uh, you watched it very closely. Uh, Ali Farag uh, won, and uh, Nor Al Sherbini won. So just before we get into the uh, the dirt, it was before we get into the mud that uh, turned out to be this World Championships, I got to give Ali Farag credit for just rolling through this tournament and being Ali Farag. It almost like almost like the rest of his year was geared up for this, and he he performed flawlessly and and, and won the championship. And Norel Strabini, I'm not sure there's any more superlatives you could say about her. I mean, it's funny getting wrote, writ, written off or wrote off when you're 26 years old and you're a five-time world champion. <laughs> yeah. But she was injured, obviously um, had a pull out of a tournament and then didn't play leading up to this. And people are like, well, her time may be done at a ripe old age of 26. Um, Noran Gohar is the new star. Hanya Elhamami is the up-and-coming star. And, and, we're, and uh, it's time to put... Uh, Put her in the Hall of Fame and uh, and put her in the retirement home and maybe she'll uh, she'll come out and take some bows like Nicole David did a few years ago. But uh, not to be at 26 years old, nor else you're proved once again why she uh, could be considered the greatest female player of all time. Um, yep. Just I, 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 I never ceased to be amazed by her. And again, I was I was amazed again and just so happy for her. I really I mean, full disclosure, I really like nor else as you guys know, I have a lot of issues with a lot of players on the PSA tour. I have yet to find an issue I have with Norrell Strabini. So uh, I really like her and I was rooting for her the whole time. So PJ, uh, your analysis on all that? Yeah, class act. I agree. I, I, I would certainly be starting to consider her as as the best player of all time. I, I just think the the amount of years that she's been at it to still show that kind of hunger. If, even in this tournament alone, her, her early round performances could have gone along with what you were saying there, Bill, about people writing her off because she was tested a couple of times early on and she looked really off the pace, really out of sorts. But we also saw that a lot with Rami Ashore when, when he, in, in, towards the late stages of his career, when he wouldn't play all of the, the events leading into these majors, but he would just pop up and produce the goods when mattered most. And just the, the, way, the way that she wins these events... I've never seen anything like it. I just think her her ability to to step up when needed. Uh, I've not seen that in in my well, I certainly didn't see it during my career. I mean, you saw the domination of 
Nicole David through her period, but I still feel that the actual level of squash that we're seeing from Shabini is is the best ever, in my opinion. What she's doing on her day, Renee Walili could challenge um, Shabini, but but then Shabini's got the full package because even on Walili's good days, Shabini had the mental capabilities of, of dealing with that, whereas Walili at times had a bit of mental fragility possibly, and her record against Renee was was astonishing. So the, the fact that she's uh, one sec. Somebody breaking into your house? Yeah. Maybe so, maybe your subletter came a day early. Don't know who that is. There are no staircases there, right? Just in case. <laughs> Somebody stealing your Porsche. Hang on one sec. All right. Intrigue. We're gonna keep your camera on. Yeah. Tell them that the cameras. We are rolling. We are rolling. So if something happens to you, we'll know what happened. It's good to give our podcast the most listens if PJ gets killed right here. <laughs> I think they've come to the wrong apartment, basically. Oof. Yeah. It's all, it's all anyway, most sorry. tragedy tragedies are. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, sorry. So yeah, I mean, I just think the the way that she came through and how well she played also against Gohar in the final was just uh, just outrageous. And I, both on and off the court, I think she's she's a great role model and a just a, a top class act from from start to finish. And uh, you know, you can't really say anything negative about her. I just think I think she's just superb. Yeah, Rob, Rob Owen said when she's playing her best, no one could beat her. Yeah, well, I, I'd have to. I tend to I tend to agree with that. He, he said that about a couple of players now, hasn't he? So, <laughs> yeah, but, I, made, um, I made that one up. And then, uh, and then Farag. I mean, he's another player again. Very, very bright. Very calculated. A lot of people wrote him off when uh, even his fitness levels coming into the TOC didn't look great. But I still feel that he used that event as a bit of a preparation and a warm up coming into. The World Championships, a lot of players opted to not play it because they felt the timing was too close. But I just think Farag just prepared himself impeccably, as he has done. He's now three-time world champion and he's, he's obviously got that down to a fine art, how he can taper off his training and peak for those top events. I don't think like somebody like Farag is, I won't say too bothered, but he's not as focused and concentrated on the smaller events, the tournament of champions and those kind of tournaments as much as you would be, say, the, the, the Grand Slams or the majors, the US Opens, the British Opens and the the World Champs and those kind of events. And I think he would have geared his whole schedule leading into that, this particular, that week, last week. And he'd done it flawlessly. He was brilliant. The way that he played in his early rounds and how he coped with the later rounds as well, I just thought was very impressive. And for me is why he will go back to world number one. And you'd have to say that he is the best player in the world right now because he's proved it. You know, there's been a lot of talk of, of Paul Cole, who's who was number one in the prior rankings. But if you look at Ali's head to head against Paul Cole, he's up something like 15, three, 15, four in the head to head. So Cole still got a lot of work to do in that respect, but I just felt Farag's performance was was worthy of him being crowd champion again. Farag, I mean, he's so purposeful in his in how he lays out his season and his training. And you know, I, it's interesting. I think with with fatherhood coming around, that that could have been a challenge uh, to balance all that. And it seems like he's embracing it and and trying to use it to his advantage, like traveling with with Norn and having that sort of at least that grounds him. Um, mm. So it's it's interesting. And 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 speaking of which. We can't forget Noor El Talab making it to the semifinals. I mean, again, that's ridiculous. It's, ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. it's still um, less than a year out from from having a child, and to be 
really coming back to that level, top four, that's unbelievable. I also feel kind of just in agree, I agree with you entirely, but I feel that that's also an indication of this level that has been created over the last 10 years. When you look at Shabini, Walili, Tayeb, post Nicole David, really, from that point on, the level of squash in, in, I feel, in the ladies' game, especially at the very top end, has gone to a completely different stratosphere. And Tayeb was in that mix. That, yeah. that, and, and there was a bit of a gap, a bit of a bridge of a gap between the top four or five. You had Kemi Serm, you had Joel King that were just, just kind of hanging on at the tail end of the, the top three Egyptians. Then there was a bit of a drop-off. So, But for Tayeb to take that amount of time out and dealing with what she's been doing, to then come back and make the semi-finals of the World Championships is... Not only a testament to her, but it's an indication of just how talented she is as well as a player. You yeah, know? it's. I don't think yeah. you'd see that in many other sports to have that kind yeah. of a a layoff and then come back I, to that I, level. I agree, and I I like watching her play. She's just um she's such mm-hmm. a competitor. I, I I love it. So, what what do we think about uh not not to get into the controversies right away, but uh, since we're on Tayeb, um, El Hamami tweeted out after her loss, or it was could have been after the tournament was over actually regarding um, players not calling their double bounces and some un, unfair tactics out there by her opponents. And it seemed to the squash world that she was aiming her ire at Noral Tayeb, which shocked a lot of people on the squash, on the squash boards on uh, Facebook and uh, on Reddit and whatnot, because Nor has an impeccable reputation, um, which I, I, I don't know if people have seen Nor, Nor, Nor can be, uh, a, a little vicious at times at PG. I'm sure you've seen her yeah. where she is not the sweet, sweet angelic Norel Tayeb uh, that everyone believes she is. Um, what did we think about Hamami coming out with that? And, and to me it was, cause you didn't, I've never seen that before from El Hamami and the viciousness kind of between the players and the tweeting seemed to come to really be more at the forefront of this event. And I'm wondering, is it, is it cause it's the financial stakes? Um, is that, that why um, there was so much uh, vitriol between the players you think, or is there another reason why all this is coming out now? Uh, I, I have to be honest. I didn't. I don't. I'm not really a massive social media person. I'm not on Twitter. I'll do a little bit on Instagram, and a little bit on Facebook for for the squash TV days and that kind of stuff. So I don't really follow it, and I didn't. I didn't see the tweet. But you are starting to see a lot more activity between the players, targeting out or singling out opponents. Tarek did the same thing with the Sal. They're just making their opinions public, which I feel that they're entitled to. Um, why it's done, I, I think it's it's so competitive, not only on the world tour, but also in Egypt for a lot of these players, the clubs, the rivalries between the clubs that these players play in that. And it could, be, it could come down to some of the financial uh, aspects of it, Bill, but I just feel that players obviously get to a certain point where they just feel that they've had enough of seeing a certain uh, trait that's happening and they, and they just want to call somebody out on it and... It's with their will within their rights to do that, but it, you, you certainly started to see that a lot more, um, a lot more of those kind of attacks taking place off the court. I mean, I'm all for it if they want to bring those kind of things to light and and expose some of the players for wrongdoings. Then then go for it. Yeah, so I'm going to read you her tweet just okay. so just so you will be. Uh, this was on May 22nd. She tweeted, "She is astonished by how many players complain about momentum breakage in their post-match interview, and yet they don't call their tins." double bounces, or out-of-court shots. I'm just proud that at such a young age, I'm only driven to fight and earn every win, and then in all caps, win to earn every win fairly in all caps. Wow. 
So right right after the tie-up match. So um, yeah. So it, I, it, it, it doesn't I, I, I it doesn't take doesn't take the detectives from the staircase to no. figure out who she was aiming that <laughs> no. at. I didn't see the match in, in question, but look, it's it's another topic that we can start getting into uh, another time or even even later on in this particular podcast. But th- there's definitely a lot of activity that's going on on the court, in my opinion, and I'm an ex-player myself. And there's a lot of stuff that's that's starting to happen that's coming in that we could really do without with with some of the stopping the starting, with some of the situations with the referees, the players. I feel do need to take a little bit of responsibility for some of the incidents that are going on on the court, and that is an aspect of the game that I feel needs to be tidied up. I didn't see the situation with um, Hamami and and Tayeb. I, I didn't see any of the breakages or what she's referring to. Um, there, there might have been a case for that. There might not. I don't know. But sometimes it, it, it could be a little bit of frustration that comes out, and they want to call a, call an opponent out on it. When these things are said post match straight away, there's a, a, generally a, probably a bit of anger. But upon reflection, maybe she regrets saying it, or maybe not. I, I don't, you don't know what's she going didn't on. Take, she didn't take she it didn't down. Take it so down. yeah, I, I, I was expecting it when I looked it up today, uh, and because I do prepare fastidiously for this podcast. Uh, when I was looking that tweet up. Uh, Still I was there. expecting it to be yanked out of it. Was it's definitely still there? So, and also it shows. I mean, the, the stars of other sports usually have other people run their social media, and they some. If she had someone doing that, they probably wouldn't have tweeted such a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually, it's a, a little bit refreshing to hear uh, to hear that to hear someone uh, come out and say things like that. I think this happens, like you know, in press conferences with other sports. You know, we mm-hmm. in in squash, we don't really have press co- conferences. Like you will do post match interviews and that kind of stuff. So there's the only outlet in between is a post-match interview or social media. Like there's no in between and you can see chirpiness, whether it's in golf or tennis or certainly other bigger sports where uh, people are are sharing their opinions. So I I agree with PJ that this is, there's definitely been a slow creep in terms of, you can call it the end of day of like sportsmanship creep where um, how is this impacting um, the sport? And I think there's no one single thing. It's, there's a lot of things that we need to kind of uh, address. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, press conferences in squash would be interesting. I mean, right now there's. It looked like it looked like in Egypt. It looked, but some photos I saw that uh, there was some sort of press conference, or maybe it was just press availability where they were just taking pictures. But it looked like there was like ten or twelve media folk gathered around Noor Al Shabini after the final. So I don't know if just because it was in Egypt and it, it was all Egyptian press, but there there is as we've as we've lamented, there unfortunately is no actual critical squash press. Um, and I think at this point, um. I think it's you, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it'd be it'd be me asking, like, excuse me, do you mean are you calling Norel Tayeb a cheater? And then Fram would say, oh, uh, all my Egyptian players, I love them all. Um, you're one of them. I love you. That would be we, we did actually bring uh, press conferences in, Bill. I don't know if you remember back um, around for the Windy City Open. It was, a, it, was a, it was either the Windy City or the Wells, but it was in Chicago. And, mm-hmm. it, and <laughs> there was a, a post-match interview that. Amanda Sobey had given. I think she just lost out in the semis and she flat out just turned around and said that whoever she was playing, similar sort of thing, cheated and picked up doubles and and, it, and was like really confrontational, you know, in a, in a post-match. After that, it, it got quashed because I think a lot of the players originally wanted the freedom of speech and they wanted to have a, you know, discussion after their matches. But then, I, I don't know if it was purely off of the back of Sobey's interview, but it all went very quiet after that. Who, who was asking the questions or was it just them I speaking? I, I, I wasn't there. I just remember hearing the next day that the, the post-match interview that Sobey gave was uh, pretty open. 
well i think i think there was definitely doing the the post-match interview but i'm what i'm talking about is like a press conference room where like there's like that's what this was that's what this was Connor. it was actually in a press conference room mic'd up post-match this was not after the match the the mc asking yeah 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 right but that was just a longer freeform interview what i'm talking about is like having 30 reporters in the room asking a variety of questions like you do in other sports. We're just not there yet. No, no, no. I think it's so, a good idea anyway. Oh, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, it would yeah. be awesome. I would, I would love to be the beat reporter for that and just ask the most in, invasive questions ever. Kind of like <laughs> asking PJ about his Porsche, but I would really get deep about it. <laughs> so when he, he would say no, com- no comment at this time, I'm not taking questions at this time. <laughs> so that was, that was a kind of a minor one. So, um, pre world open, um, Rob Owen, who is gets all the kudos online for being basically the Bill Belichick of squash, like the greatest coach in the history of the game. Um, people agree. Some people don't agree. Uh, but Mohamed Al-Shabagi defeated Paul Call in a just a fantastic semifinal. I mean, it, 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 some of the matches in that tournament were just unreal. And that yeah. was one of them. Yeah. And after the match, he went on a, a what we call a, a, a sure. I, I always say that. Um, all, all squash tournaments are really just like festivists for, uh, for Muhammad Al-Shirbagi. He just airs, he likes to air his grievances every tournament. So be it, be it on Twitter beforehand. And some of them are very, very valid. His talk about like not allowing coaches during, you know, keeping the no coaches up, even after they're allowing everything else to go by the wayside with COVID. That's very valid, but he, he, he airs grievances about everything. So sometimes it's hard to take him seriously, but for this one, he claimed that Rob Owen's article that he wrote on the PSA website regarding, um, Paul call in a nutshell, he said, Paul call when he's at his best cannot be beat by anyone. So if Paul calls playing his best, no matter who he's playing, even if they're playing their best, he cannot beat anyone. And Mohammed Al-Shrabagi took exception to that and obviously went out and beat him. And then went in the post-match interview, shredded Rob Owen for what he called a stupid, um, article right for writing that. So, I like read the article a little bit beforehand. I didn't really give it much thought, but I went back and read it. So now I see why Mohammed Al-Shirbagi was mad because all the other stuff in the article was pretty respectful and was very respectful of Ali and yep. very respectful of Asal um, and the and the other players that uh, may be a challenge. But what he said about Mohammed Al-Shirbagi, and once again, I'm going to read it. He said, in terms of Mohammed Al-Shirbagi, he could come out and have a brilliant day, but I just don't see it. To win a world championship, you're going to need win to win four matches in a row. And the way he is playing, I don't see him doing that. And I just feel his level has dropped. Mohammed has made some mistakes in the last couple of years in terms of where he has gone. And I think his movement has deteriorated. Personally, I think he has put too much emphasis on getting fitter rather than working on his technique and strategy while also making his movement smoother like I did with Paul. So... I don't think the article itself bugged Muhammad that much. I think those two paragraphs bugged Muhammad. <laughs> and, yeah. and he's and he basically said that that put too much pressure on Paul, and that's why Paul Call lost, <laughs> which is totally ridiculous, mind you. Um, it basically he was just he was just mad because the article ripped him apart. He, I feel like he also uses that as his own fuel. Like he 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 needs what yeah. I've seen with Muhammad is he needs a fight. Like he, oh he, gosh yes. Like he needs something. It doesn't matter what. He just needs to be fighting to keep his fire going. Yep. Right. 100%. And that's so that was fuel for him to really deliver the goods. And by the way, look, we don't have to say no one quote wrote him off. It's like he wasn't performing 
like in the past year, he hasn't performed to how he has in the past like nine years, right? So he's written himself off. And so to come back uh, and make it to the finals, like I wouldn't have bet on that at all. And even just a no. year ago, I was betting on him to win it. So, right. But I think I think I think from a if you take in this, I, I hate to say an unbiased perspective because everything I say is biased. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say that Tarek Moment had more to do with Mohamed Al Shabagi beating Paul Call than Mohamed Al Shabagi did, <laughs> yeah. uh, is what I would say. I, I'd say right. that uh, oh, right. Moment Moment took out took out calls legs and oh my god did not what he did not match. have the fire it was the match of the tournament so i think that more, had more to do it and i to do with it and i also think that um that also led to shirbagi getting crushed by farag in the final one thing leads to another as the i, I think it was i forget who's what whose song that is uh one thing leads to another is that the kinks <laughs> still none the wiser anyway. they're bill still none the wiser but no all right just, just to add to that as well, don't forget, Paul Cole also had a very heavily strapped right knee going into the tournament. So Paul, Paul Cole was injured. Paul Cole right. was obviously clearly struggling with an issue of some kind, whether it was that debilitating that it affected him, it certainly didn't appear to be. But that wasn't a 100% fit Paul Cole going into that hmm. tournament. When did he get injured? And by the way, it's the fix, not the kinks. I apologize. One of our listeners just tweeted at me. He was listening to this live and just tweeted at me. Said it's I'll, I'll have to take a look at and see if it was actually on in the early rounds. But um, there was definitely some strapping on the leg. On the yeah, right, weird, on the right weird, weird strapping too for the number one player in the world. It looked like I like I put my ace bandage on before I go play squash. It was yeah. like so weird. Like, how about Paul Call, you're the number one player in squash. Put a fucking knee brace on like a... 2022 knee brace he was wearing like literally where i thought i th think i saw a safety pin it was ridiculous <laughs> that's paul cole for you. he's hardcore mate he's just bare nuts and bolts there's I guess, no no, I guess. no no frills no frills with paul just all about getting so, the job done <laughs> how can we grow the sport of squash have you ever thought about that i've really enjoyed all the different ways i've learned about how to help it grow but the truth is there is no silver bullet to achieve great success in fact, it's really about many pieces of the puzzle coming together to help get this done. However, one of the biggest untapped potentials that I've been excited about for over 10 years is the concept of building outdoor squash courts. But not just squash courts, think outdoor squash clubs. Either way, it's a great way to get more visibility for the sport and experience a different way to enjoy and share the sport we love. If you think there's an opportunity to get some courts in your area, reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. And I can share the latest of what's going on in the sport and let's help open up the sport. So, so PJ, I, I wanted to ask you this when, when it happened, but um, since we haven't had a podcast, I don't think since then, um, yeah. what well, we may, we may have had one. Do you think the, the excitement and the, like people going crazy over the fact that Paul Call was number one, became number one in the world. And like, everyone was so pumped up about it. it was that more anti-Egyptian than it was pro Paul Call? In what respect? I mean, just that the Egyptian's not number one anymore. Not number, and number it didn't one. matter if it was Paul Call or anyone else. Just the fact it was like, hey, we've we've pierced the Egyptian domination. I, that, 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 no, I don't think so. I don't think there was any of that. I, no? I think, I mean, when Jonathan Power and Peter Nickel were going back and forth and Jonathan Power became number one, like that was a big celebration. And it wasn't anti-English. It was just, oh, it's nice to have, um, especially someone from a place where it isn't done. Like, I mean... 
Paul Cole from New Zealand hasn't, no one's been number one other than um, on, on the men's side. So like, that's a huge yeah. milestone. Yeah. So it's a huge brutal. milestone for the sport. Um, and so I don't think it's anti anything. It's pro new co- or new country getting um, up to that level. I, I no, I, I understand that. I guess maybe it just rubbed me a little bit of the wrong way. I mean, if, if Paul Cole remained number one for a year or for two years and just really dominated the sport, and then then they, they they were celebrating him like he was the greatest squash, like the Rob Owen article, basically saying that no one could beat him when he's at his best. I mean. He was number one for two, three months, right? In the end. So obviously a great achievement, but it seemed to me there was like a little extra behind it. And, and it, it kind of leads me into the next point that I wanted to make is about the crowds in Egypt. And uh, I know PJ, you weren't there. So it'd be interesting to see from someone who was there, but we read about it online and we saw, I saw it like the non-cheering of Egyptian fans for anything positive done by a non-Egyptian player, the silence basically. Uh, nothing wrong with the raucousness when you're rooting for an Egyptian, but it seemed like there wasn't an appreciation for the level of play from the other players who were not Egyptian by the, by the Egyptian squash fans. And I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. I read a ton about it online and people complaining about it. So just wonder what your thoughts on that. It- I, I wasn't there for the Worlds, but I have played in Egypt over a number of years. I probably played, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 times over in Egypt. And this is these were in the days of Barada and, uh, and those players were starting to come through. Um Yes, there is bias from their crowds, but it's 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 not necessarily a hatred towards the opponent, but it's just such a, a desire for their own players to do well. Uh, a lot of the, the squash crowds over there are not particularly knowledgeable in as much as how to appreciate good quality squash from the other player. It's kind of just they're looking through rose-tinted glasses where they're just all about their own players. And listen... You, you get it in most countries. It's not just Egypt that's like that. It's just at the moment, the World Tour is heavily dominated by Egyptian players. And we have a lot of tournaments over in Egypt. So you're starting to see that a lot more than, than anywhere else. But is, is there bias over there from their crowds? Absolutely. But again, you could say that of a lot of different countries. There will be some bias in certain places in the UK. There'll be certain bias in... In countries uh, like France, for example, if you go over there and you're playing against a French player, they're going to get a lot more kudos and a lot more cheering and that kind of stuff. But you, it just it's brought to the light a lot more over there because you do see the crowds going bonkers when a stroke's given or a no let decision's given for the, in favour of their players. But that's probably more to do with the lack of knowledge of the crowd. Got know? it. Now, I, I don't know if there's any right way to do this. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah. if you look at other sports, I mean, uh, at least they're not like negatively booing or, you know, if you go to play big soccer games or, or baseball, whatever, and someone does something against it, like people, the whole stadium booing, right? <laughs> like that's not very sportsmanlike or great etiquette, yet we accept it. So, yeah, I, I, I think if people have people they want to cheer for and they're, they're not being, quote, disrespectful to other people, do whatever you want. No, I, I get that. So, so that leads me to this other question, PJ, and and, uh, uh, and I apologize if this is uncomfortable. And feel free not not to answer it or, yeah. or just say in in your opinion. So there, and again, I I I go and I watch this, and and I I think there's some validity to it. Do you think there's bias from from your guys' point of view when you're announcing squash, um, a bias towards certain players, uh, pro for certain players against other players? No, never. Not not at okay. Yeah, Never. I mean, actually, this does get brought up, and so um, 
it does get brought up quite a bit. It gets got brought, brought up quite a bit by the Egyptian. And it's funny because, and I, I always go by squash stories and all the Facebook groups that I'm part of and on Twitter and Instagram, they think that there's a bias towards the Egyptian fans have bias towards, um, uh, non-Egyptian players. And they also feel that the PSA squash TV announcers have a huge bias against the Egyptian players. Yeah, that's a- absolutely. It's, it's bullshit. Uh, yeah. you, you will often hear Joey and I often sing praises of Arma Shabana, Rami Ashour, um, Mustafa Rassal, Ali Farag, Tarek Moman. This is what's funny about these. And we, you know, we're obviously we're in the firing line for this, but these people, what they don't understand is, or what they don't listen to is the entire, com- the entire commentary of the match. Because we could spend an entire match bigging up and bringing light to qualities and strength areas and traits and areas of a player's game that are just, uh, you know, so good and things to look out for and nope. what makes them the player nope. that they are. And then we'll make one... Editing nightmare. We've lost PJ again. again. So we could, let's talk about his Porsche now that he's off the air again. <laughs> I think he, he's more fired up about this than he is about the Porsche. Oh, he's back. Uh, he's back. We lost you there for yes. a minute. Yeah, yeah. Where do we get to? Where do we yeah, get to? Uh, you were saying that, Bill, you're absolutely right. I'm very biased. I hate all Egyptian players, I believe, is what you were saying. Yeah. You're yeah, talking about the, the qualities of. Um... Yeah, so that's, that's what I was saying. You, you know, we, we, we get complaints all the time. And if you actually listen to the commentary with Joey and I, we all have favorite players. Don't get, don't get me wrong, or players that we like to. But there won't be any favoritism or bias against another player. We will always talk about strength areas and certain traits that players bring to the court, you know, athleticism of Dasuki, the explosive power, the, the, the court craft of Marwan El Shabagi, the aggression of Mohamed El Shabagi. And, and we'll talk and credit the players continually from Egypt all the time. But then we may make one slightly derogatory comment and, pick, and pull out areas of their game that do need addressing, maybe ourselves movement or, Marwan El Shabagi at times gets involved with the refereeing or Tarek Moman whinging with the refs and those kind of things. And that is all they will listen to. They won't listen to all the parts of the players that we do credit them for. And they'll focus on the negativity and, and that's what they tend to, to listen into. But Joey and I have been accused of being racist, of being biased, anti-Egyptian and all of those, which is absolute, it's, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Okay. Fair enough. So let's um, talk about the refereeing, which always is in the spotlight. Every tournament, it was very much in the spotlight in this tournament. And I think it was because a lot more eyes were on this event than a lot of events. There was a lot of buzz leading up to this world championship. And I think it was because it's the first post-COVID world championship and people were really excited about it. And the, the, the I think Paul Call being number one had a big part of that. And like, so people didn't well, know whether it was just going to be an all Egyptian affair. Go ahead, Connor. Sorry. Uh, Record prize money, so one point yeah. one million dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting new location, right? Mm-hmm. Two glass courts back in Egypt, where just squash has been on on the rise, and I think it's mm-hmm. you know CIB was also really not only putting prize money in, but really helped to produce the event. So it was just kind of uh, right a lot more buzz around it. So it was um, pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the, and obviously there were some 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 calls that. Uh, <laughs> that people complain about like everything. So, but I mean, I didn't feel the referee was any different in this event than in any other event. I just think there was more attention paid to it because more people were watching. And as I always say, officiating is an issue in every sport. 
I mean, it is an issue in every sport. And if you're following Major League Baseball now with the strike zones and everything, it is a huge issue this this um, this season thus far. Obviously, with the NBA on and the NHL on. And if you are a close fan of any of those sports and you go on any of these message boards or go on any of these um, social media sites, if you look at the losing team, that's all they talk about is the refereeing. Nobody nobody loses. Nobody loses right. in sports anymore. People are, are are ripped off by the ref or ripped off by the official. It's because that happened, not because their team was worse than the other. So I think we're running into that in squash where people's favorite players are are getting knocked out and people are looking for an excuse. And now I think the players themselves are looking for those excuses. So and they're exacerbating the situation. And it's just it's 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 a shame because I think if there was a little bit more respect put towards our officials, then there wouldn't be this issue. But there's such a lack of respect for these officials. And you, you hear it from the players' comments. You hear it from um, the fans' comments. It's, it, it leads. It's, the de- it's very detrimental to our sport, in my opinion. I, I, I think you said it. Um, I'd agree with everything you just said. I, I, I think we're under-resourced in this area as a sport, right? Uh, and we need to make other investments in people and technology um, to really help make improvements but when you look at the nfl or nba that has probably the resources they can put behind that regardless of what resources you put there this will still be an issue because we have it's not black and white sometimes it's or it's up for interpretation in certain calls so this is going to persist um so i think to going back to point pj made earlier is like there has been a creep and this is just one of the, the ways that the players are kind of a little bit outgunning the art where we are the reacting differently and how you react to the calls is as big of an issue of the calls themselves because i think a lot of them are legitimate and the players just so so much in the heat of the battle their heart rate is pumping so high that you're not thinking the same way you would if in different situations i personally feel over i've been commentator ex-player for 20 years off the tour yeah off the tour 20 years um, commentating for 10 years now. I think there's been a massive improvement in the standard of the refereeing. When I look back to matches of my era and pre my era, you had certain matches that were just a, just a complete let fest. 50, 60 decisions a match. Um, I think there's definitely been, with a couple of the rule changes, Players are starting to be penalised for certain movements off the ball. Certain areas are, are a little bit more complex. Like you're saying there, Connor, it's not always black and white. And I feel that the, the PSA are doing a really good job of educating these new referees that are coming through. I just feel there's a bit of separation between the, the, the PSA, the refs and, and the, the players at the moment. And I don't think they're all singing from the same hymn sheet. So yeah. there's been times where referees are penalising certain players for certain movements or certain decisions are being given, when in actual fact, some of the players don't know the rules. Even Joey and I at times, we don't fully know, we weren't fully aware of the new updated rules, shall we say. So sometimes these decisions will be given and you're scratching your thinking, why have they done that? But then when the rules are explained to you, then they make sense. Now, I feel like there needs to be a bit of a sit-down between the board, the refs, and the players, just so everybody can have a bit of clarity in what the PSA are looking for and what the referees are looking for from the players. At the moment, I feel it's a little bit messy in as much as the, the referee, the players are so used to certain decisions being given in certain situations that when something other than that decision is given, 
it's like all hell breaks loose and and then the referees are, are targeted i completely agree and i and i say this um to a lot of people is like i think we need to create that form of like the association the the refs and the players so, so you can have an outlet to really have that dialogue yeah. in lieu of that then you're going to see players voicing their frustration immediately because they actually do feel like they're being robbed of something whether it's ranking points or prize money and pride so like i understand their in the moment their outburst but it's it's not a behavior that's going to lead towards us getting becoming a better entertainment product i think it's a, it's detracting so in um, connor i believe it was you who told me that like the, the referees are not employed by the psa the referees are employed by the wsf correct well, um, it, it gets a little convoluted in terms of actually the people that are hiring them are the promoters. That's who will pay. Um, so the, the promoters pay the referees. So now, who, who has to who has to approve them, though? So in other words, like, are they are they PSA approved refs? Or are they WSF approved refs or, this, or both? This is where it gets convoluted. So there was a new association created called the WSO World Squash mm -hmm. uh uh, officiating which is set it used to be housed under wsf that you had to be that's who gives the certifications and training and then promoters would hire from this candidate pool right so basically this is now that psa is more resource i would say that they want to get more involved in this that this is part of the impetus behind creating that new wso entity but no it's not it's I think that's part of the ambiguity that, that happens in, in my opinion. And I'm torn between it being completely neutral and third party. And I think that's good in theory. What I want in practice is uh, for the matches to go better. And however, we need to get that done. That's what I, I think we need to focus uh, energy and resources behind. Right, right. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, last topic, um, Alguna's this coming up. It starts actually tomorrow, I believe that today's the 26th. So yeah, it starts on the 27th, if I'm not mistaken, or it could be the 28th. Yeah. Um, obviously, Alguna is a huge event. It's a platinum event. To me, losing a little luster this year coming off so quickly from the world championships. I, I'm not, ex I, I'll watch it. Obviously, I'll watch, uh, you know, if I don't watch it live, I'll watch the replays of it. But kind of it's going to be the same matchups it's basically a world championships redux right i mean it's going to be the same tournament happening whatever miles away from where the world champions so to me i understand it's possibly a reschedule connor you were telling me and that's why it's so close but gosh to me it seems like the world championship should have been the end of the season and that should have been it and um like the master the masters happens they don't they don't go play the u.s open the next week or they don't go play a, they, they play like heritage or some tournament in South Carolina where families could come and people could chill and half the players don't show up. So I think to have a huge event with the same field this close takes a little bit away from Alguna. And I usually love Alguna because it's such a cool setting typically. And it's the, the matches there are, are pretty fantastic at times. So your guys thoughts on that. I, I know it sometimes it can't be avoided, but man, it just seems like, Holy cow. If I'm Ali Farag, like shit, I got to go. I just won a world championship. Now I got to go slog through this again for another big tournament. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think for me, having the world championships being kind of the, the end of a season is a really good kind of high note to go out on. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think it was a, a scheduling conflict. That, PJ, do you? I'm not aware. Of, I, I can only assume that it must have been a scheduling issue, Connor. I don't know what dates Elguna's normally on, but generally you would think that the world championships would be the end of the season for yeah. right. a lot of these players. But... Let's not forget, you know, two years ago, guys, we didn't have any tournaments at all. We right. just, we, you know, we're okay. coming through the pandemic and, and the fact, I understand where you're coming from, Bill, right now. 
as a squash player, you, you want to be out there earning. As a squash fan, you want to be watching as much as you possibly can. Um, we've been starved for two years from, from any kind of top flight squash. So the fact that these players are out there, it's tough on them, the schedule for them geographically as well, yeah. to be traveling around and doing all of that. It, yes, it will take its toll, but I, it'll only be for the rest of, you know, hopefully until the, the end of the season. And then you'll start to see the tour get back to its regular pattern. And from a PSA standpoint, I think they've done a wonderful job of getting these events back onto the map. There's new events coming on, as I said, I'm off to Mauritius next week. The back end of next year after September is crazy busy. And then as of 2023, you're going to see us, and you know, a whole new slew of events that are becoming onto the tour. So from that standpoint, it's highly exciting with the, the amount of tournaments that you're going to get towards. Yeah, it's a little bit tough after the Lord Mayor show to be going down to Aguna, but it will still be a top quality event and you'll still see some brilliant matches. It's just Yeah, no, for sure. And I, actually for the players, it's it's set up as well as I guess possibly can because they're still in Egypt. So the travels, they don't not like that to fly back to the United States yeah. or fly to Europe. And then uh, Mauritius is uh, in Africa also. So that flight from Egypt probably is not as arduous as it would be normally um, for, for people. Yeah. So. That, that's definitely so again, an area guess, of the tour that I feel could now, and now it looks as though we're starting to get that way. But there was times before when the PSA never had the luxury of telling an event when they could host their particular tournament because geographically, mm-hmm. geographically it didn't make sense. You know, back when I was playing, you would fly down, you play the Australian Open, the New Zealand Open, and then on the way back, you do Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia. So right. that, that would work. It would be like a six-week trip or in, right. or you'd have your South American tours, North and South American tours over a 10-week period through the summer. But just because of the way the calendar has been and sponsorship and everything else, it's not. we've not had the luxury of telling an event, no, sorry, you can't have that event in September. We need you to put it on at a different time and – and it, it just it was a, a logistical nightmare for players. The traveling that they had to do in between events was absolutely brutal. Um, but now I feel as though we're we're turning a bit of a corner there, and it's starting to look a little bit healthier for for all involved. Yeah, I, I feel bad for Michael Alpenop having to travel all these events. Michael, <laughs> you should really rest, rest, rest yourself, and you, you don't need to do all these events seriously. Take take a couple off just for yourself. I'm worried about him. So, Michael, if if uh, feel free to just say no every once in a while. He's probably thinking, "Who is this?" Exactly. <laughs> you don't think he obsesses over me like I obsess over him? Are you saying that what you're saying, Connor? <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably. Uh, Maybe he doesn't know his job's in uh, under threat here. Is he? I wonder if he's aware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if he's, he's not, he, he is now. He, he is, is now. He I is t- now. I, it said Bill's voodoo doll of him is getting a lot of uh, workout. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm trying to grow my hair out like him. If you guys haven't noticed, it looks better short. It takes a few years off your shorter, Bill. Yeah, it, short, it does, doesn't it? Keep it short. So it was a pleasure. We look forward to doing this again when uh, PJ uh, is a next available. So. It's well, we can good. do this when he's over in Europe. He's he's been known to make time for us, Bill. Yeah, we we have Wi-Fi in the UK now. We're, we're, we're up he, there. He, we state of the art. If you could barely get online when he's in New York, you think he's going to get online there? I well, look, it's been uh, our 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 test has worked out as far as I'm concerned. The, the phone, true, yeah, true. So there you go. Cool. All, right, All right, guys, have nice a good one. To see you, boys. See ya. Look after Bye. yourself. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, 
please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.